I'm Michael Hogan. You're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. <laughs> Previously on the Galactica Quorum. Speaking of other scenes that I wish would happen, Adama and Ty. I just would like there to be a scene where the two of them are sitting there and Adama's like, do you remember anything weird early on? Did you really graduate from whatever college? Just something like that, just to like set it up that he's still grasping. I'm intrigued to see uh, what happens when Ellen finds out that Saul got a six pregnant. But they're definitely making a lot of noise about Ty and Six and then the baby. They're fawning over ultrasounds and feeling it kick and... So she's like the evil genius. I think I got it the first time. It was just fantastic. And then it just stepped off a cliff. Yeah. Hello, welcome to the Galactic Quorum. It's episode number 69. It's a fracking podcast. It certainly is. 69. (laughs) In more ways than one. I'm Brian. I'm Michelle. Jason. (laughs) And I think that's the end of our numerical allusions to this episode. So the smoking jacket and the pipe are too much? Yes. Contact info. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. Our voicemail is 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. We have a account there that is galacticacorum. You can follow us on Facebook. Come to our website and participate in the forums. Want to bring up our previous episode that was the Michael Hogan interview that's available now. We also have interviews with a lot of the production people that were involved with Battlestar coming up. I mentioned that in the last podcast, but just to reiterate, I talked to the costume designer, the prop master, and the science advisor, and that will be coming up in a couple weeks. Not sure we'll fit it in, but it is coming. Want to mention that Pike, who has done our video versions of the recaps in the past, has been feverishly working to bring those up to speed and is pretty much caught up at this point. So check our website for that. For this episode, we're going to be talking about Deadlock. We have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode, so there will be no spoilers for upcoming episodes, just lots of speculation. And in fact, I have not watched any of the previews as well. So without much correspondence to do with the last episode, we will go ahead and move into our discussion for this one. I mentioned last time that I invited everyone to send us a recap in a tweet to our Twitter account. Kit did another one for us, and I invite others to join in as well. But here is hers. She writes, Ellen's still trouble. Baby's in trouble. His name would have been Liam. Baltar and big guns can't be for the good. Andrews is back. That was only 140 characters? Yep. Wow. It was also a difficult assignment, given the episode. Okay, so here is the full recap for the episode Deadlock. The Galactica Transformation Restoration Project is underway. Rosie the Riveter is now Six the Spackler, painting from a palette of thick, oily paste. Adama observes the application of the Cylon goo being smeared to the beams of a ship. Boomer proves that apparently you can go home again, somehow doing what the rest of Cavill's fleet could not, which is arriving right on Galactica's doorstep. The raptor hatch opens, all this has happened before, and Ellen makes her second grand entrance to the flight deck as an astonished crowd looks on. Teal recognizes Boomer, who is sent off to the brig. Ellen, however, is merely debriefed by Rosalind and Adama and tells them about Cavill's plans to rebuild resurrection technology. 
Final Five Enlightenment apparently hasn't changed Ellen very much. She's still drinking and still horny. She and Ty are reunited and it feels so good. At the same time, Ellen is sweeping drinking glasses from the table to make room for an impromptu frack. Caprica 6 doubles over, sending a bowl shattering to the floor. And what of Caprica's previous love, Baltar? His flock has learned to be independent in his absence. Sister Paula is packing a pistol. And while she's been away, she's assumed the role of alpha bitch. Head 6 notes that Paula isn't swallowing his shtick anymore. The people have been beaten down so long and they feel so betrayed by the government, they're bitter. Bitter doesn't begin to describe Ellen when she finds out Ty got Caprica 6 pregnant. The timing couldn't be worse because the five are voting whether to bail on the humans. Under their cockamamie voting procedure, the majority vote of three gets to decide everyone's fate. Tori and, for some reason, Tyrrell vote to bolt. Ty is a nay, and Anders' absentee ballot is marked against the motion, so Ellen is the swing vote. In a bid to regain clout with his followers, Baltar proclaims they will provide food to the needy civilians. Paula is skeptical, and indeed, Baltar's food drive is interrupted by mean old bullies from the Sons of Ares who have bigger guns to go with their bluster. Drama queen Ellen has elevated her performance to Mommy Dearest level, icily revealing to Caprica her romp with Ty and making a veiled threat to Caprica and her baby. Bad Mommy. Adama finally tires of repeated visits to the stairwell to watch Goop dry and gets plastered himself with Ty. Ellen is already jealous of Caprica, but Ty's close relationship with Adama puts her over the edge and she announces her vote to leave. Caprica immediately begins having issues with the baby. Suddenly regretful, Ellen tells Ty to pronounce his love for Caprica. All you need is love. Love is all you need. The singing silence take up the chorus. He loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but apparently love isn't enough, because baby Liam dies. Bothar convinces Adama about the need of power for the people, firepower, and being necessary for the security of a free state, a not-quite-regulated religious militia is formed. Heading back to the stairwell to get another high off that potent goop smell, Adama and Rosalind observe the silence, adding photos to the memorial wall. They're actually using it as a Craigslist for silent singles, but the bottom line is the same. The integration of the fleet has already begun. Roll credits. I didn't even think about it. How in the hell did Boomer find the fleet? That's a good question. I didn't even think about that until you just said it, but I was like, yeah, wait a minute. That was pretty easy. Yeah, the easy button on the Raptor. Well, it took her a while. Well, a week. TV time. It's Boomer. She knows how the fleet runs. I guess. Actually, I thought one of the best parts of the episode was when she walked off and Tyrrell walked up to her. It's Boomer. I like it when they when people keep doing that. That's Boomer. They just look at her. Yeah. That one's Boomer. Well, let's play a uh, voicemail from Jesse. Hey, Quorum. I thought about the challenge of how do you sum up the episode, and I couldn't do a haiku, but I did try to do it in verse. So... There once was an exo named Ty who found out that he was a final five. He fell in love with the Cylon lady. Together they made a baby, at least till they found out that Ellen was alive. Um, as I said, didn't think much of this episode. The acting was great, but didn't move the story along much. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, we've been dancing around a little bit, but what did you think in terms of the main points of the episode being Ellen comes back and immediately she reverts to some old ways. She's insanely jealous. I don't think it was much of a deviation for her. I mean, it kind of sucked because of the fact that she came back and she was starting to accept her final five status and she seemed like she was being more mature about her attitude. And then all of a sudden she flip-flops again and turns into this... What she always was. Yeah, what she always was. I guess it's not out of character for her, but I guess I was hoping that she would be a little more mature and grow the fuck up. I mean, come on. It's really weird. The, the opening scene in the hangar was fantastic. 
stepping mm. off, everybody going like holy frack. Tyrrell and Boomer. Ellen making that very poignant statement about wanting to see the other four because, after all, well, you, had, you had 40,000 people. We have five. I mean, it was just fantastic. And then it just stepped off a cliff. Yeah. I don't know what happened after that. I feel like I want to turn on the soap opera channel and watch the rerun. It wasn't a horrible, horrible episode, but after I went off fanboy last week, <laughs> this certainly kind of derailed my thoughts on the season. It was like a speed bump. I would have minded Ellen being this way as much this week if she hadn't seemed so above it all on the last episode. Right. The last episode, her dialogues with Cavill were more mature. In this one, it just seems she reverted back to something else, which, again, is fine if there hadn't been that blip of characterization. For her to come back and be this way, it's one of those instances where you almost regret having the character come back at all. It's like the Indiana Jones movie. Like, everyone wants the Indiana Jones movie to come back, and then they come back with the one they just did. And you're like, yeah, maybe it would have been better off if they just left it alone. And same thing with Ellen. I'm glad she's back. I think the actress, Kate Vernon, is great. I uh, just don't quite get that depiction of her right now. And speaking of depiction, I think everyone has pointed out at some point, what the hell was up with Tyrrell voting to leave? I mean, he was basically saying, frack you to his son, who's even though he's not his son, I mean, he's been his father for two years or whatever, saying, frack you to Adama, right after he takes on this assignment of fixing up a ship for him and being his chief again. I could have understood it if maybe he had hesitated and someone reasoned with him, but he just right off the bat went, okay, let's go. Okay, he had the five back. Maybe he envisioned a whole fresh start. I don't know. Again, it just just seemed like a blip, just like the Ellen thing. If this episode had occurred at the very beginning of this season, right after they had left Earth, I could have seen it. It had been, I don't fit in here anymore. Earth was a big mess. It's a big cosmic joke. I want to get out. But then to have the little arc where he bonds with Adama again, and he takes over the restoration project and puts on his chief pins, just, just didn't seem, it was like out of the blue. I would have thought an interesting scene would have been, if you're talking about the Cylons leaving, I know they touched on it briefly, but couldn't you have had a little bit more of a discussion about what to do with Hera? Like, do you try to take her with you? Because if you're saying all the Cylons leave, then you would have wanted Athena. Athena wouldn't have left Hera. There's like an angle there to play and possibly remind everyone that Agathon's still on the ship. I don't know. Is he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We haven't seen him in a while. They seem to be doing everything they can to making Hera the singular important child again. But yet they're not bringing her up. Right. I mean, there was like the briefest discussion about we can start a pure Cylon society again. But maybe what you do now is take the death of the pure Cylon fetus and say, okay, it's going to have to be Hera. This pretty much scuttles the reason for the Cylons to leave now, isn't it? Yeah, because they need the humans to have babies. Yeah. Ty even said it. He said the pure Cylon is weak, whereas the human Cylon is stronger. Kind of like a purebred dog in a mutt. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Purebred dogs have more issues because of the line. Yes. Another character I thought was... Just not depicted the way I expected him to be was Baltar. Oh, yeah. What the hell was that about? We've debated back and forth in this room many times whether Baltar is a weasel and whether he has a conscience. And I think the bottom line is he's all of those things. He's a very complex character whose self-preservation is number one and two and three. But somewhere along the line, I think he does have a bit of a conscience that grew at some point and sometimes does appear. But in this episode... 
it seemed like he had reverted to almost a caricature of himself where he's bumbling about and there's no other way for me to characterize it other than it seemed like fanfic. Like someone took his most basic characterizations and blew them up big on the page and he acted it fine, but it just felt really odd. I didn't see any of the darker bits of his character that have shown up in the past. He didn't seem at all serious. He seemed like every time Head Six was spoon-feeding him lines, he was just parroting them. And where, where did the character go? Of all the things, this one really bugged me the most, I think. Well, flat out, he was just poorly written in this episode. Flat out. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Jason is just- what Jason is thinking right now is that he was poorly written because Jane Espenson wrote it. That's what Jason's thinking. But he won't say it. Can neither confirm nor deny Michelle's statements. <laughs> it turned out to be one of those things where I'm watching this episode and I realized about the third time Baltimore put it on the screen that I didn't have to pay as much attention during his scenes. Right. It like, was not necessary. Main, yeah. It, it, they were kind of bleh. And the only interesting part to me was this was all created because the sons of Ares had the bigger guns and were, you know, throwing around their weight. If they meant it this way, I thought it was interesting for that to come up right after Rosalind and Lee had the discussion about how we're not Capricans and Ares and all that anymore. We're ships, but obviously not everyone thinks that way. It may be a blip. If they follow this path a little bit more, it could be interesting. But if it's just a part of a whole, I don't know what the hell that was. I'm not really sure what was going on with mm. that whole scene. And why would Adama be so willing to give him more weapons? That's what the hell? Very weird. It was just an uh, element of convenience. Do you we remember the last time? Went ahead, and we're going to give them guns because it's going to matter at some point in the future. Remember when he gave Baltar a nuclear weapon? How yeah, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, he can't do as much damage, and obviously, we've already played out the whole mutiny on Galactica angle so far, so I don't see that happening. Yeah, but, when they first you know. <laughs> when they first started bringing up the mutiny angle, just the seeds of it, the very beginning, one of the things I was thinking was, I wish that they were not going to do the government internal struggle, and I kind of hoped that they would be doing the religious struggle as what brings a tear within the fleet, because, again, I just didn't want to see the government thing a second time, and... Minor spoiler about the Caprica series, that is something that's very key, is the single god versus the multi-god. So it would tie in very nicely. But like you just said, I can't see them doing a second revolution. That would just be tiresome to me and just not welcome, because we've already been through it once. It was kind of hard to take. And just from a story perspective, it's repetitive. Yeah, but I think we need one just to kind of kill off all the main characters. Well, we're getting down to all a few episodes. I think they don't need too many more things to to happen to start whittling whittling down. Other than the whole ship breaking apart and exploding. Yeah. It partially plays into what I said last week is as things get answered, there's less to talk about because there's nothing to speculate about. But then you pair that with an episode that compared to what we've seen so far this season was a disappointment. And that's just how I'm going to couch it. It doesn't leave much to talk about. It was a very blah episode. And I think, you know, a lot of us were speculating on how Ellen would react when she found out that Six was pregnant. And it certainly was not the way I expected Ellen to act. When the baby started getting sick and was having problems, why the hell was she there? Why was she sitting next to Ty being this, oh, you need to tell her you love her. But I'm the one who started this because I went in there and I just told her that we had sex out of the blue. Was she playing loving wife or guilty mother? Technically, as freaky as it really is if you get too involved in it, 
she was watching her grandchild die. But it's not like she gave birth to her. I know, but Frankenstein's monster. All right, you know, chia pets. We get attached to them. <laughs> I mean, you know, just because you didn't give birth per se. Well, either know. way, fine. Yeah, no. Either way, <laughs> you got me there. I can't argue. But still, it. I think she knew going in when she went in there and was like, "Oh yeah, I just came back and and we ended up having sex and here I find out about you." And I'm like. She knew what she was doing when of she course. went in there and yeah. said that. It was very well, she, vindictive. Well, yeah. But in the soap opera that that episode was, she wasn't trying to hurt Caprica or the baby physically. She was trying to hurt Ty and maybe inflict like the emotional stress, but she didn't realize that it was turning into a difficult pregnancy and the emotional stress would actually have a physical impact. I think she did. We had a post on our boards from Monkey King 1969, who kind of summed it up pretty well. He wrote, Sometimes watching the show is like playing a board game with a child. When the writers find they don't like where the pieces are on the board, they shake the board and call a do-over. They needed a 2-2 vote where Ellen says, let's leave. So they make Tyrrell's vote make no sense to what he was doing before. Out of character? Sure. Illogical, given that he just became chief and his child is sick? Sure. But they needed inexplicably to change to have that vote occur. So they could shake the board and move the pieces. They need to Baltar later on, but don't have anything to do right now. So shake the board again. You'd think Ellen would still be human and have failings. But after 4,000 years and countless lives, she really needs to be petty and stupid too. After all, she is merely a person who helps create mind transfer resurrection, travels 4,000 years, survives Holocaust twice, negotiates the end of the war with the robots, and helps create eight totally new biological clonable robots. So of course, she's really mostly a petty drunk floozy. I loved his post. I thought that was awesome when I read it the first really time. good. Yeah. So she's like the evil genius. She's the evil genius that went crazy. One thing I... She got her degree from evil college. I think she just thinks that she's better than everybody. Everybody to Ellen is her little pieces on the game board. She can move anybody around the way she wants them to. Just a quick note from Matthew in UK who posts that, I wish Rosalind would make up her mind whether she wants to be involved or not. And this may sound harsh, but shouldn't she be dead by now? I mean, if she has stopped taking her meds, as we saw, and we haven't been told that she has gone back on them, once her body gets past the euphoric state, she should essentially be bedridden, like we saw her in episode Faith. Well, there is a possibility that the, the meds were making her feel sicker than she really did naturally. Besides, what do we care? She's not the dying leader anyways. Am I being too harsh because I don't give a crap about her character anymore? <laughs> she has no purpose anymore. She's actually said as much. Yeah, I guess when the character tacitly admits that there's no reason for her to be around anymore, it's hard to stay interested. Should I bring up the fact that it makes no sense why Adama was just staring at the inside of the ship the entire episode? It was a little bit of the anvil metaphor. Like, if you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to show you five more times. (laughs) I think I got it the first time. We all got it. There could have been so many more things put in that episode if they had taken a couple of those out. He feels like he's surrendering his ship to the Cylons. He feels like... Well, I got that. I was leading the humans, and now I'm not leading the humans. I'm working with my enemy. We got it the second time. We got it. We get it. Yes. We get it. And in fact, the exposition in the final scene between Rosalind and Adama, where they make the stupid state... I didn't realize they were doing that. The integration's already begun. We got it. All you would have had to do was to show the six putting up a picture, having her walk away, show it, doing a close-up of that picture, 
backing away and showing all the Cylon pictures with the human pictures, and we would have gotten it. Yeah, you yeah. didn't have to tell us. You didn't have to yeah. have the two characters sitting there telling us like we were freaking... How stupid do you think we are? <laughs> I was sleepy, not dumb. <laughs> A lot of the actors have said that this show realizes that their viewers are smart. We're not stupid. They don't throw these things at us to bash it in our heads because we're stupid. But someone, for this episode, forgot that we're not stupid. And to this to come from the writer who did Hush. I know. That got so much across without saying a word. That was such an awesome episode. Okay. What I'm happened? Done. I'm done. I'm done. I know this is sounding like a really negative podcast, but... Come on, people. You have to admit that this episode was not up to par compared to all the other well, episodes in the season. I know. It seems like we're really piling on and bashing, but literally, I have not received a single email or post that was favorable about the episode. At best, they were all lukewarm, and they all said they were disappointed in some degree. And this one, here's another one, kind of sums things up. Infinite Loop writes, Espenson does it again, and it's so depressing. We don't have time for this crap. Why that same six painting goop on the same bit of airframe several times? Why did Caprica drop her ice cream in pain and then be okay again and go for a walk just so she could have a really painfully out of character conversation with Laura? How did she keep popping up at the shall we leave meetings and not mention anything to Saul about the terrible pain she just had? Why did Tyrrell suddenly want to leave after willingly taking his job back? The only thing I liked was the great granddad was a power sander. Could they not have left out one of the goop scenes so Ellen could explain that she obviously knew where Earth was, so we know how come it is that she and Boomer could just jump straight back to the fleet? Or just something. I guess that's true. I mean, that would have been an explanation about oh, finding a trail. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I will go back to the statement to avoid the piling on metaphor, and it's what I said off mic earlier. Everyone who has written on this show is infinitely better at it than I've ever thought about being. But it seems like whenever... Espison writes an episode, it's so out of character of what's been written before and then what comes after. It's like it's a completely different episode. Mm -hmm. I bet that if she was in charge of a show and was the head writer and her vision and her writing style was established as the main theme from the get-go, it would be a wonderful show that I would probably really get into. Mm -hmm. But to drop that episode into what we had seen so far was very jarring. Yeah. Two yeah. things. First of all, if you go back and listen to our podcast, even back to the first one she wrote, and maybe even the second one, I said at the time that the characterizations didn't seem right to me. And I think that has followed through even to this day. Second thing is you bring up heading a show, you'll get your wish, because she is co-executive producing Caprica with Ron Moore. And he is going to be doing that helming for part of the first season, maybe all the first season, but he's eventually dropping out and she will be the executive producer. So I'm in. Let's see. And it makes more sense because everything I've read about what Caprica is supposed to be is more about political intrigue and drama as opposed to what we've seen with Galactica. So that's fine. But there might be a tie-in with what we know now about Daniel. Really? Ah, Daniel. Yes. Uh, let's play another voicemail. This one is from Dave. Yeah, hi, guys. This is Dave. I'm calling up from uh, Salt Spring Island in uh, British Columbia, and I love your podcast, And um, but I'm almost not sure if I want to listen anymore because it seems like every time I listen to your podcast, you seem to make these miraculous predictions that come true. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to say I really like the podcast. I really appreciated your interview with Richard Hatch. Um, I think he was dead on. I, I think uh, Zarek really was a good guy, and you could tell at the very end of the, just before Zarek got executed, he gave that look over to Gaeta 
that sort of said, you know, you try your best and you win some, you lose some. So uh, I really appreciated the interview with him. My other point, I guess, is I'm kind of concerned here or interested to find out what happens to Starbucks. On the one hand, I was really, really caught up with the idea that she was going to be some sort of angel, you know, some sort of heavenly being kind of thing so that they would go back to uh, the end of the original series where they had Starbuck crash landing on the deserted planet and took care of a baby or whatnot together with an angel. So maybe there's some connection there. But it sounds like uh, basically we're going to end up having Starbuck be, sounds like, Ty's daughter, basically. She makes that comment at the last episode comparing watching Ellen and Ty like her parents. So it sounds to me like Ty probably can't keep his you-know-what in his pants and probably um, got a Starbucks mother pregnant, and that's the big secret that she's been trying to uh, keep from her daughter this whole time. Anyway, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, and I look forward to uh, hearing to your podcast in the future. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so ever since season three, we've been talking about how Ty might have known her mother, and maybe they had some sort of affair. And well, from the opening scenes of season one, where they got into it in the pilots, yeah, it was definitely you could tell it was more than just a. I mean, not that they went that far back thinking about it, but that scene, if you look at it, it really comes across as more than just a commanding officer, right? You know, but I don't think that's where they're going with it. No. I think they're setting up this artistic Cylon Daniel to be her father. And just to be a total geek for a second, the original BSG did not end with Starbuck crashing on the planet. It actually ended with Apollo and Starbuck and Sheba and Serena up in the little old observation thing. And as they left, it picked up like an old radio transmission from Earth, but they didn't hear it. Serena was dead. Wasn't Serena dead? Not Serena. uh, Sheba and uh, Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia. The episode where Starbuck crash lands on the planet was an episode in Galactica 1980 when they were explaining to the little arrogant 12-year-old where he <laughs> came from. Starbuck made a special one-episode appearance in Galactica 1980. So back to Daniel. We've had some discussions on our forums with Matthew in the UK. He really thinks Daniel is Starbuck. I don't think it's that way. I Wait, think- is, is Starbuck? Yeah, like somehow... Daniel was resurrected as Starbuck. I don't think it went that way. I think Daniel is Starbuck's father. I think it fits better because that that would make her... Well, for all the reasons that I like Ty being the father, but he couldn't be because that would be just too father, daughter, Star Wars-y, whatever. Uh, This works better. But either way, I think they tipped their hand in this episode because she has one scene and she's in the bar. And the first thing she says is, where'd you get that piano? And then a second later, she says... The line about seeing her parents make out. Again, her father was a pianist, an artist, you could say. And the... Maybe her mother isn't really her mother, and Ellen's really her mother. Daniel and Ellen had an affair, whatever. Which, of course, course, if that were true, would make Ellen complaining about Ty and Caprica even more hard to believe or hypocritical. Well, Ellen would now that wouldn't happen because Ellen, Ellen would know that she had a child. Ellen's big cry cry about this episode was that she didn't have a baby with Ty, but if she had any baby at all, she would have brought it up. So yeah, I think- but I'm thinking the the final five can't have babies together, just like the seven can't have babies together. But if Daniel is the father of her, that opens up a bunch of possibilities. That means that Starbuck is a Hera. Right. Why Starbuck wouldn't be in the opera house, though, or any kind of vision like that, that's kind of interesting. Wait for a previously on. Yeah, right. <laughs> So my thinking about Daniel, and again, going back to Caprica, minor spoiler about Caprica, and it's not really a spoiler because if you have seen any press releases about who's in the show and what roles they're playing, there's a character named Daniel, 
Daniel Greystone. Greystone, yeah. Is a pivotal character in that miniseries. He is the guy who's in charge of a kind of a Microsoft-y type of corporation that is building robots and AI and things like that. And I won't say more because I'll save that for another episode where we'll talk about it and be spoilery. Oh, we'll do a spoilers episode? For Caprica, yeah. I'm going to. Sweet. I basically know the, the whole beans. So if you want to listen, you can, you can listen. But anyway, back to this show. So my thinking about Daniel is one of two things that Daniel is the disembodied head character. They turn him off and he's flitting about the Cylon network, hmm. a true ghost in the machine. Or the head character is something angelic that has been guiding the powers along. Now, if he's in the network, that would explain somewhat how Deanna was seeing visions of the final five after she repeatedly died and resurrected. Because in the time between she died and going back to her tub, he'd be able to intersect that one point and pop in images of the final five that he knew, thereby give her clues along the way. Yeah, now, but wouldn't she remember them too? Because she is only a three, so she was, you know. No, because Cavill did that monkeying about where he removed all their memories about the final five. Okay, got it. All right, Cavill's basically more or less altered the memories of every Cylon except him. So if Daniel is in the system got it. and he's able to feed her info, I, you could say, well, why is it only giving it to her? I don't know, but that is one possible explanation. Well, he could have been trying to give it to everybody, but yeah. only she was really wanted to see it. Right? Yeah. So then that brings up a question about the head stuff. I don't know if it's related or not, but I was thinking, well, how does Balthar see the head six if there's no chip in his head? And I was thinking, well, this is kind of a roundabout way to explain it, but what if they put the chip in his spine? Because where's the big antenna and the skin jobs that enables them to Wi-Fi their consciousness away? It's in their spine. It glows when they're having sex, when physical and emotional stimuli is going into overload. So it makes sense that maybe that is actually where a lot of the hardware is. And if they planted it in his spine, it's kind of a cheat. But yeah, they scanned his head, but they didn't scan the rest of his body. So it kind of works. I mean, that's the technology they use. And so that's what they would use to plant it in Baltar. Now, granted, it's kind of a bastard way to do it, but it would be an interesting revelation to see Baltar somehow really being one of the first Cylon-human hybrids. <laughs> like, we actually started putting Cylon technology in him without him knowing it, and he's been living with it. Yeah. Dumbass. As a test case. <laughs> <laughs> that Only Baltar would be so oblivious to something like that. Right. This is my new pet theory, and I, I like it for another reason. And that is because when the show first started going into this mystical territory about there being a god figure that was involved pushing things along, this kind of brings it back to the level of science for me. And it almost backs up a little bit, saying that a lot of the things we assumed were something to do with there being unexplainable phenomena, some divine hand, actually might have more of a root in regular, practical, everyday science. And I think they've been backing up a little bit in some ways. Consider that the beliefs that Rosalind held dear, the prophecies from Pythia, those turned out to be bunk, and that Pythia was a Cylon. And consider the Baltar, having trusted God to bring them to Earth, realized the destination was not the place of glory it was foretold to be. So there's shattered beliefs, God's dethrone. Perhaps they will swing back to some divine entity, but it almost seems to me that Ron Moore has let us take the bait, that there is something big and divine out there and some divine path. And then when it really comes down to it, it'll be hard science. My only quibble with that is, who says the Pythia stuff has been debunked? We just assume it has right now. As I've stated before, it could be a situation where she misread it. She read what she wanted to see. She wanted to make herself the dying leader. That doesn't mean those prophecies aren't true. She's just not 
the central figure in the prophecies. See, I wonder about the prophecies because the prophecies were made for that earth. They weren't necessarily made for some other earth, right? To well, me, once they got there, it was like, okay, we've kind of fulfilled them. I still uh, think the dying leader is the ship. Do you think that now, too? Yeah, I, I, I've jumped on that bandwagon. Because the ship's alive now. Not necessarily. Well, he had that beat where he picked it up and he's like, is this alive? Yeah, maybe it could be considered alive once it's got that stuff growing in it. Or maybe Brian's right like always and we are just taking the bait. (laughs) But And this is really a stretch, but it reminds me of when I asked Tomo in our interview with him about the religion question. Knowing that he's a spiritual guy, I asked him a question about the show and the religion involved with it. And the answer he gave was not what I expected. He sort of backed off from it a little bit. And maybe I'm reading a lot into it, but perhaps if the show does back off from the divine completely, then that might be a reason for his vague answer. I don't know. But we'll find out soon enough, I guess. Because there's only, by whatever count you have, was it four episodes left? Depending on whether you count the last episode as two parts or one part or... God, does it have to end so soon? It's going to... And I believe the next episode is going to be the one that's directed by Michael Nankin, who, as we've mentioned before, tends to kill people, kill people off <laughs> in a very good there, way. He does it well. There's four weeks left, but five hours of stuff. Again, not taking into account those of us that have interest outside sci-fi. Having the two-hour series finale during the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Oh, whatever. You're killing me. <sighs> You know what? It would be like Tiesto having a concert here while you're at Dragon Con. Ooh. See, I've just got to put it in her realm. There you it's go. It's true. You do. That's good. Okay, can I bring up a couple of my favorite things from the episode? Go for it. The first one being... Shouldn't be a long list. Yeah, there's only actually two. My first one is my grandfather was a... What was Power it? Sander. Power Sander. That one was good. And then Baltar meeting the kid, and his name was Guys, and he's like, I'm so flattered. And the girl's like, oh, he's named after his father. <laughs> Doesn't mean Baltar wasn't his father. True, but there's no way. The kid was too old. Yeah, I thought that. I thought Gaius was pretty much a horn dog on Caprica, too. That would be so coincidental. I know. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, but it was uh, funny how he got was, all excited. Him, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. Right. It was to demonstrate that, no, he hasn't really grown up and evolved. He's still just a really smart kid. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even bring up. Anders, the last scene. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that. His monitor beeping and his signals going back. Again, I don't know if this means he's going to come back with all his Final Five memories or did somehow, you know, if you want to go wild with it, you could say Daniel has Wi Fi into him to take up the empty space and now he's going to be talking as Daniel. You know what? If you're right on that and he comes back as Daniel, I'm going to be so pissed at you. You need to stop. <laughs> yeah, that would, be a, that would be a fantastic pull. <laughs> I mean, uh, only you have. That's when I would start saying, Brian, I know you're looking at spoilers. Yeah. You're you're picking up a... There's conversations you've had with people that you're not telling us about, <laughs> if that's true. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out. Okay, which one have you pulled? I don't think I've pulled any. No, Michelle got right that the Final Five got well, the resurrection technology. They didn't cre- well, I said they created it, but they didn't. They just they, they did create recreated it. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you got... I got Ellen. I got the episode, the way they did it with all the flashbacks... I got that the final five reattached themselves to the Cylons. There's a couple other minor things along the way. Okay. And depending on how the ep- how the series ends, we'll see how that goes, too. I think I've gotten some minor ones, yeah. but I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. But the, the big one I'm making on now is Starbucks, Daniel, and I guess the ending. So, okay. What do you think? Have you made any predictions lately? 
Lately, no. I haven't really made predictions on this year. I think I really stopped with Tori was a Cylon. Oh, yeah. Did Jason get that one? I think yeah. Jason got that yeah, one. Got yeah, that yeah. One. No, I, I had Tori was a Cylon, but I'll only give that half a star because she wasn't a Cylon. Cylon, in, Cylon. In the way, we, in the way I right. thought. I thought she was a skin job, not, a, not an original. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Not the Colonel's original recipe, Cylon. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure there might have been some minor ones, but I think I stopped making predictions, per se, other than because I've really bought into his about the ending. What wait? What is yours about the, the small, ending? Small ragtag fugitive fleet of mixed Cylons. And oh, okay, yeah, 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 and start the whole process over again. Right, and that I can really buy into. It does make well. This episode's going long now, but yeah, maybe maybe for another uh, time we should discuss whether we think they will find another Earth or. I guess the point is, we always thought that Earth would be found, and it would be us in the future, the past, or some other weird thing. I don't think. That fits right now, and so that begs the question, since I don't think they found Earth, our Earth last time, there's no moon, no continents, etc., will our Earth fit into the story in some way? Interesting. So I'm still curious how that's going to play in. Everybody ponder. Ponder that one a little bit. <laughs> all right, grade-wise. Do we really have to grade this well, one? Well, right, yeah, I mean, it's a C- minus for me. Yeah. It was. I think we're all on a, a big, C. The big... It's a C episode standalone compared to what we've seen this season before that. It, it grades even lower, but I'll stay off the curve. Again, this goes back to another episode that she's done, the Escape Velocity, which I did not like at all, but it had some really good scenes in it. Which the one, one, that one, the one where uh, don't don't refer to him by name. You got okay. to tell me what happened. Escape Velocity, <laughs> where Tyrrell and Adama in the bar. Tyrrell goes off on his rant and ends up being stripped of his chief title. Okay. That was a good scene. I like that. There's lots of little bits of... They all seem to be follow this pattern. There's a few lines or a, a certain bits of dialogue that are really well done. I liked Baltar's line where he talks about the Cylon blood being injected into the ship. I thought that was really nice imagery. Much like it's been injected in Baltar. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I just lied. That's my semi-prediction. Okay. They've been messing with Baltar from the beginning. And there's a couple other scenes that were pretty nice, too. Again, this reminds me in some ways of that Escape Velocity episode. When two characters are having conversation back and forth, the dialogue, it works. It's snappy, it's engaging, and it's... But when it's tied into an overall story, the pieces don't fit as a whole. And again, the characterization was just not good for me. So, anyone else want to tack on to that? No. Eh. I'm in agreement. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so that will end this episode. I'm sure it will get better, people. It always does. There's always an episode in a season where you just have to kind of write it off in any show. So our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gcorum at gmail.com. Our voicemail number is 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. Send us your Twitter recaps. The jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. No. Oh, I know why. Yeah. Silly me.
Not actually good. Say, read, read your email log. What email? The one you're reading. I can't see anything. Oh, what do you... What do you, what do you... Oh, I'm not reading an email. Oh. I'm playing a game. What? Well, he's sitting there messing You know what, Demetri used to do that, too. He would play games when we were in here. I'll be honest. If it's not me talking, I don't care too much. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. 